everyone, and welcome to episode four, chapter four of the American Game. First things first, uh, happy belated birthday, John. Thanks, buddy. Uh, John's birthday was yesterday for all our listeners. You get anything? A uh, couple, couple treats from my mom. Nothing too special. I asked for soap this year. I got that. <laughs> oh, what kind of soap you get? Uh, the squash thing, you know? Yeah, um, was it? It's like Sasquatch soap or something. It smells like some like beer barrel or something. They're weird ones. Uh, also, yeah. like sassafras or like pine trees. They're good. Nice. Well, this is actually our first episode on Zoom. We, unlike many of the other six one zero podcasts, John and I actually record sitting in the same room. But our house is currently in quasi lockdown, so you guys are diseased. Yeah freaking ted um but so today our episode is going to be focusing on building credit um which we will get into but first for our capitalist crunch today we're talking about SPACs, special purpose acquisition companies right john that's it and then also what's going on why why are oil prices up um and there's a pretty simple answer but a little more complicated than i think on the surface um first spac so i'm kind of new i've read to spacs i've read about it uh in like the morning brew and stuff like that but the way i understand it is it's just kind of an easier way for companies to ipo like mm-hmm. investors will buy into an spac without any idea like what company that that SPAC is like planning on purchasing. The SPAC purchases a private company that wants to go public. And then from there, the stock is sold like to the investors um, that initially, or not sold because they already invested in it. Um, But John, do you wanna like tell me where I went wrong there and also fill in the holes? No, I mean, that was pretty close. So, uh, I mean, SPACs, they're, they're uh, what's also known as blank check companies. Um, and basically the purpose of it is for them to go out and get public funding and then acquire another company. And it's, it's just kind of a loophole around like a traditional IPO. Um, and the reason, you know, some companies may find it easier is you do a traditional IPO, you're under a lot of, you know, SEC scrutiny and, um, you know, a lot of regulatory like the regulatory environment's gotten a lot more hostile towards businesses. And um, by doing it this backdoor way, um, via taking companies public through SPACs, it's, it's a little easier for them, uh, more cost effective. And, you know, they, they don't have to worry about, you know, having all their ducks in a row um, right away. They can kind of get the funding first um, and then just get acquired. So it's it, funny, there's actually um, Elon Musk's uh, SpaceX company. There's a rumor that, you know, he was going to launch via SPAC um which is kind of interesting that would be pretty exciting although I, I think they have you know quite a bit of debt they need to get over first but yeah so so far in 2021 130 SPACs have gone public uh and they've raised over 38 billion in public funding so it is pretty impressive I think last year there was around 213 um so in, in terms of you know number of SPACs you know getting issued on the market it is definitely going up um, certainly popular like for sure year 
Yeah, I mean, a lot of a lot of technology companies are going this route. Um, it's just, uh, I think, in, I think in, it's also quicker too. Um, so they've been around for years. It's just recently they've gotten uh, super popular. So yeah, it's, it's probably due to the regulatory environment when anything else, I would think. Um, do you think like as an investor, is it smart to look into SPACs? It's a, it's a good question. It, it kind of is a gamble. Um, Cause I mean, although there's rumors that, you know, you know, some SPAC may acquire, you know, SpaceX or, or whatever you may think, you know, what it's going to take on, um, you know, that plan could fall through, there could be issues and, you know, you may never see a real return from that. So it's certainly risky, but, um, you know, it, it could be like, for example, like IPOs, they perform, you know, phenomenally right out of the gates normally. Uh, let me just see. The first year return is usually insane. Um, so average first day returns for IPOs in 2020 was 42%. Um, so it, there's definitely... Um, there is definitely a, uh, you know, a market for IPOs. And I think a lot of people still get excited around them. And, and then, you know, yeah, what they, they, they like new and exciting. So um, I think that's kind of the new SPAC uh, or SPAC is the new IPO. So definitely a lot of excitement around it and definitely a, you know, a good way to get some quick cash. Well, they don't tell you about those IPOs. I believe this is true. I think it's one of the study notes in my exam right now is that, um, kind of after that first year craze around them, they typically don't have very good returns after yeah. in that three to five year range. Yeah. That's also very interesting. Um, yeah. I mean, last year, I think beyond me came out last year, right. Um, if I remember yeah. correctly, I but uh, I mean, they've been, they've been doing phenomenal, but uh, you're right. <laughs> what happens after that kind of first year on the market? Uh, it'll be interesting for sure. So. But yeah, SPACs are interesting. Um, but oil, that's also oil. interesting. Um, that's highest since pre-pandemic, I believe. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah I mean, did you see what happened in, um, in Texas? Yeah. I mean, Texas's entire power grid. Well, first off, they have their own power grid, which like I didn't know or understand. Um, and I still don't really get it. Like, why do they have their own power grid? How large is a power grid typically? Because like Texas is a pretty big state. Um, but basically like they're kind of offline and the oil companies really can't produce in Texas right now. I think it said like production, like US oil production was cut by a third just because Texas is um, offline right now in that regard, which as like, basic microeconomics will tell us as the supply of something, the quantity supplied goes down, the quantity demanded goes up, or not the quantity demanded goes up. That's actually completely wrong. Uh, but the same. <laughs> yeah, it stays the same, but there's less to go around. So the price goes up. Um, you want to elaborate upon the situation? Yeah, so Texas has its own, own kind of grid, which is actually really interesting. Um, there's other, there's two other like main grids and it basically just splits East and West, um, in the U S and, uh, 
that that guy, that kind of means like you know say Pennsylvania starts running out like Pennsylvania is you know powered heavily by coal let's say you know for some reason coal production's cut um, and power towards Pennsylvania kind of drops well it, it can it can you know work off you know power coming in from New York and, and, and New Jersey and, and there's other backups basically that it, that you know it'll draw power from um, and, and in some cases that's a good thing. Uh, in other cases, it's really bad because if you look at it, um, you know, paying for energy in New York is different than paying for energy in, um, I don't know, say Lancaster, right? So Lancaster, you know, there's a house every, you know, 10 miles and in, in New York, you're stacked on top of each other. So the demand for energy is a lot higher. You're, you're going to pay a little bit more for energy prices. Um, so Texas, uh, one of the reasons that they just went on their own, did their own grid was to avoid regulation which was kind of interesting. Um, definitely the Texas way. I like it. <laughs> but um, yeah, they, they didn't want any like federal, you know, involvement. So they said, all right, you know, what, we'll, we'll do it on our own. And what that has allowed them to do is uh, produce, you know, energy extremely cheaply. Um, I mean, West Texas, you know, oil is, uh, it's one of the biggest, you know, producers. Uh, and it, it's, you know, commonly referred to the price of oil on the market. Um, so it, there's, there's obviously, you know, ups and downs to having your own, uh, own grid, but I guess for Texas, you know, they're seeing this once in a century episode kind of happen and people are going, Oh, this is a horrible idea. See, it's a poorly managed state. Well, okay. The last time this happened was like 19, like 10. And it was because Houston finally hit one degree. Um, and right now it's at four degrees. So, or it was at four degrees and that's why, you know, the wind turbines were freezing, oil production was cut and, you know, all this, but, you know, there's ups and downs to what they do. And uh, I think that a lot of people, uh, you know, if they were given the chance, you know, over the span of say a hundred years, right. So you used to live in Pennsylvania for a hundred years. Well, if I could say here, I'll lower your energy bill by 25% uh, for 99 years, but for one year, you know, you have an issue for a couple of days where you don't have power. I think a lot of people would probably take that deal. <laughs> um, I would, but uh, you know, but actually, yeah, right now, so oil is kind of rebounding. It's kind of cool. So it, it, it's up to $61 and, you know, 28 cents a barrel, uh, which is the high since, well, uh, near high since the recent, um, you know, pandemic. Um, and, and actually during the pandemic, it hit negative, um, the, the oil yeah, prices yeah. went negative, meaning producers were trying to get it off their hands and because and, storing it was so expensive and shutting down the drills would be so expensive um, that it, it was worth it to pay somebody to take it off their hands. Um, so all, all very interesting. And, you know, as we see, you know, OPEC, um, uh, OPEC cutting production and Russia kind of produ cutting production to, you know, artificially raise the price of it. Um, you know, a lot of the Russian economy, the, the middle class is kind of, uh, it, it's pretty much oil dependent. So as, as oil prices go up, you know, the middle class kind of thrives in Russia. As it uh, goes down, Russia kind of, you know, suffers a little bit in, in terms of uh, standard of living. Mm -hmm. But, um, you know, they're artificially kind of trying to push that price up to, you know, increase their, you know, gains and in, in, in revenue and whatnot. Um, so, all of that combined with, you know, the U.S. is pretty strong production. Um, that, that, that should be a good year for oil. Yeah. Well, let's get into um, today's topic, which is building credit. So we've kind of been working through the years here in terms of like financial journey. And obviously, like some stuff applies to everyone, like 
buying a car and building credit, but I was actually like surprised. Like we haven't hit 18 yet, I guess, in terms of like this advice applies to everyone, like I said, but like we haven't hit 18 yet in terms of what you can do. And I was surprised to see this before we hit 18 because I didn't know you could build your credit before you were 18 years old. I thought you had to like wait till then to get a credit card. So like, what exactly can you do before that? Yeah. Um, I mean, it, you can wait till you're 18. Um, but you can also be added, added as what's called an authorized user on your parents' credit card or like an older brother and sister. Uh, so basically what happens is, you know, let's say I get a credit card through American express. Um, well, and I actually did this. So I, you know, I, I, uh, younger brother and two younger sisters. So I made them authorized users. And what happens is, you know, American Express comes to me and says, you know what, we'll lend you, um, you know, X amount of money uh, every month. And, you know, that, that, that's a revolving credit limit. And, um, you know, so the limit is actually available to them because I added them as an authorized user. So my two younger sisters and my brother say they're out and they need to get, you know, groceries or whatever. They can use my credit limit. Now I'm responsible for paying it. And, um, you know, if they overextend and I can't pay, it's on me. So that's kind of the downfall of doing that. But, you know, the, the alternative is you never even have to give them the card, but it's just something to help, you know, put them on, you know, put on their credit record before they're 18. And that way they can kind of start building on their own. So yeah. you can. I've never heard of that. That's really smart. Um, yeah, definitely do it if you have, you know, younger siblings. So talking about credit scores here and like credit scores, are used in a lot of things like insurance Everything. lending i mean that's the main one um let's talk about like what are these credit scores what's a good credit score um what are the differences between them yeah i mean like you said they're used for everything so you know you're buying a house you're buying a car you're you know renting an apartment even your insurance is you know tacked around you know, your credit score. So there's two different types, mainly. Um, there's what's called your FICO score. And then similar to that is called your uh, Vantage score. Um, and there's different, like, um, kind of different series of that Vantage score. Um, we're going to talk about the Vantage score 3.0. Um, so for the FICO, it ranges from 250 to 900. Um, so anything over 800 is exceptional. Very good is considered 740 to 799. Good is considered 670 to 739. Fair is uh, 580 to 669. And then poor is anything under um, 579. Um, and then if we move on to Vantage, Vantage goes from... Uh, oh, I don't have a list. Of, I believe it's 350 to 850. Um, I don't have that bottom one listed, but anyway, uh, oh, I'm sorry. Under 300, 300, 300 to 850. So excellence is going to be anything from 750 to 850. Good is anything from 700 to 749. Fair is 640 to 699 and needs work or horrible is, <laughs> and it from 300 to, um, 639. Um, so, you know, I, ideally, um, we're looking for those, you know, exceptional and excellent numbers. So for FICO, that's anything over 800. For Vantage score, we're looking from um, 750 to 850. Um, you know, of course, good is, is, is pretty good too. Um, you kind of want to stay out of the fair. Um, typically, you'll be in the fair zone if you're kind of starting to build credit or, you know, if you had a rough patch. 
um, and you're kind of recovering, you really do want to stay out of the poor. It will really negatively affect you. Your insurance rates will go up. You'll get a horrible deal when you go to buy a car. And when you, you know, you might not even get approved for a mortgage. Um, you know, most car lenders will lend to anyone um, and they'll just make your rate extraordinarily high. They'll do 26%. And I promise you, you can't afford that no matter what car you're getting. Um, so definitely stay out of those areas. Um, but l- let's talk about, you know, how the FICO score is kind of, um, is, is kind of, you know, composed. Um, so the FICO scores is the one that's looked at by your mortgage company. It's the one that's looked at, you know, by the car companies and, and lenders and, and whatnot. Um, so the FICO one's kind of the one that matters. The Vantage score is very similar. Um, so I, I'm not going to say they're the same, um, but they're, they're very similar. So you can kind of just tell, you know, what range you're in and it's not going to matter, you know, too much. Um, whereas, you know, a couple points isn't going to kill you but you know, you, you can basically use them interchangeably. Um, so for the FICO score, uh, 30% of that is going to be, um, you know, calculated based off of the amount you owe. Um, and we'll, we'll talk about, you know, what that means. Um, 10% is going to be new credit. Um, 15% is going to be your average credit length. Uh, 10% is going to be your credit mix and 35% is going to be your payment history. Um, so obviously that biggest one payment history is huge. Um, so it's how likely you are to pay, you know, every time on time. Um, right. Yeah. So, I mean, if, if, you know, you, you're missing payments, um, you know, the, the good thing is, is, you know, banks are competing for, you know, your business. So if you have a credit card and you're going to miss a payment, it's better to get in front of it and just call them up directly and go, Hey, you know, it's a tough time. Um, you know, I, I can't necessarily make this, you know, credit card payment or even your mortgage payment, car payment, whatever, and say, look, I, I can't make this. Is there a way that, you know, one, you know, we can either keep this off my credit score, which sometimes they will do, um, or two, you know, figure out a different payment structure to get this month's payment in um, and kind of weather the storm. Uh, so keep that in mind because 35% of your total score. Next is going to be your credit mix. Um, so your credit mix is only 10% not too big um, but kind of what goes into that is is two types of credit revolving and installments um so i mean nick do you have a car loan no i don't have a car loan no the car loan you have a mortgage you have a house i don't know about <laughs> no i do not no okay all right so you don't have any installment loans um that i know of you have any like major business loans or personal loans no no now, okay, right. So you, most people don't have installment loans, you know, the younger they are. Um, neither do I. I. I don't. I don't have a car load note or a mortgage or you know some secret loans. <laughs> None of that. I don't have any of that. But I do have revolving. Um, and revolving credit is going to be um, credit cards. So you know, um, take out a credit card. They say they give you a thousand dollar limit. That limit applies to every month, uh, so long as you pay in full at the end of each month. So they'll continuously get grant you that thousand dollars limits each month, um, you know, under the understanding that you pay off in full, you know, the, the month previous. Um, so that's called revolving installments are going to be those loans like your 30 year mortgage. You know, you got to pay every month for 30 years, 360 payments of, you know, X amount, um, stuff like that. Um, and then let me see. Yeah, so same thing with student loans. Student loans are in that. 
you know, uh, a lot of people, you know, they'll, they'll go to the private market or even um, get public funding for student loans. Those count as uh, installment loans, and those are good to have on your credit, you know, um, your credit score or credit report uh, because they'll help build your score. Actually, they, the banks want to see, you know, installment loans, and they they want to see you, you know, borrowing and, and your ability to pay it back. Um, next is going to be your length of, uh, you know length of credit, that's 15%. So that's a bigger portion of your score. Um, for younger, um, you know, younger borrowers or people that, you know, were just added maybe to their parents, you know, credit card or, or just picked up their first credit card. Um, you're going to have, you know, a year or less, and there's really nothing you can do about that other than wait. Um, and then we'll, we'll talk about why it's important to, you know, hang on to those, those old accounts uh, a little bit later. The one uh, next, the huh. one thing on my Discover that says is like negatively affecting my credit score is length of credit. And the thing is, you just can't get away from that. Right, that's right. Like, you have to just, okay. yeah, wait. Um, there's no way around that, fortunately. Uh, other than kind of getting ahead of the eight ball and, you know, you know, asking your, you know, maybe your dad or mom to add you as an authorized user. And the important thing about that is you don't have to, like, if, you, if you're a parent or if you're an older brother that's adding your you know, young, younger sibling as an authorized user on your credit card, you don't ever have to give them the credit card they give you. Um, so you know, I, can, I can add, you know, say my sister, and just never give her the credit card. And she's still reaping the benefits of being added as an authorized user on, on you know, my card, um, so long as I have you know, good discipline behind my own credit use. Um, so definitely a benefit to that. Um, all right, then 10% of your score is going to be based off of uh, new credit. New credit has to do with inquiries. So, um, you know, let, let's say, right, so Nick wants to go out and buy a, um, a Maserati, real, real nice car, you know, real shiny, cherry red. Um, it's real expensive, right? $70,000. Um, and he goes out, he, he submits a loan, he goes, ah, you know, I'm, I'm not ready for this. You know, a month later, he goes, submits, you know, another application for a loan. Eh, you know, I'm not really ready for this. Well, every time he submits an application for a loan, they're going to do what's called a hard inquiry. And that negatively affects your credit score. You know, you don't want a thousand hard inquiries. But let's say this, right? Let, let's say Nick's going to buy a house. And he says, all right, well, in June, I want to buy this house. So Nick goes out to the market. Um, he's, he's looking at mortgage lenders and he's going, all right, um, you know, let's try a couple companies to shop for some rates. Credit card companies want you to do that, or your, your credit you know, bureaus want you to shop for good rates. So if you can push all of those inquiries within a, a two-week period, they count as one on your, credit, um, on your credit report. So if Nick goes out and he wants to go buy a you know, million-dollar house, um, obviously, you got to take out a loan for that unless you got a million dollars laying around. Um, you know, when, when, when he goes to mortgage companies, he can submit one to, you know, say WSFS. Um, he can submit one to Capital One, you know, one to Amerihome, you know, wherever. And as long as he does that all in a two-week period, all of those hard inquiries count as one. Um, and that's really important. So they want you to rate shop. They want you to get the best rate. Um, it's just those, you know, those staggered, you know, kind of awkward inquiries that aren't good. There's also a thing called a soft inquiry. And actually, every time you check your credit score, it counts as kind of a soft inquiry. There's no hit on your credit. It has no, it doesn't make an effect. It doesn't change anything. When so you then, apply for insurance, good. Yeah, I was going to say, so these rumors about like, whether you check your credit score, is it like lowering your score? That would only be for like, 
hard inquiry. Um, yeah, yeah, that's not true. You should so check like, your credit score. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So when you're looking on like Discover, Credit Karma, that's like these soft inquiries. Yeah, I mean, and then half the time they, they don't even really count as you know soft inquiries. Uh, it kind of depends on how your bank does it, but you know the soft inquiry isn't going to make any difference at all. Um, you know, it, let's say you. Um, uh, let's say you're running an apartment. Well, most times when you're renting an apartment, you're not taking out a loan. They just want to see where your credit is. So they're going to do a soft inquiry or, you know, let's say you're getting uh, homeowner's insurance or, you know, auto insurance. Well, those insurance rates, a lot of it is based off your credit score because um, the likelihood of due claims and that's a whole long story, but your credit is, is involved in, in your rate. Um, so those are soft inquiries on people and they, they don't have any effect. Um, on your score, hard inquiry will. Um, but the important thing to realize there is if you do a hard inquiry, it should go up. It should go back up pretty quickly. Um, so you might lose say eight to 10 points. Uh, you know, I've seen as high as 23 um, for a bunch of weird reasons why that happens. Um, but it should, you know, jump right back up. Um, and then lastly, you know, 30% uh, is your based off your amount owed. Um, and the important part here is, and, and this kind of applies more to revolving credit rather than installment. Um, so, you know, let, let's say I get a credit card, $1,000 limit. My goal and what the credit bureaus want to see is me keep that under my utilization of that monthly credit line under 30%. So if I have $1,000 in credit, you know, in a credit limit, um, I want to use 30% of that, right? So I, I want to use 300 max $300 a month. Ideally, I want to keep it under 10% or less of my, um, my revolving credit. So I should be spending it, you know, at max $100 um, a month. So I think that's kind of silly, because quite frankly, you know, if a bank lends you, you know, $1,000, I don't, I don't see why it matters to them in any way. Um, as long as I pay back every single penny by the end of the month, why they would care in any way. Yeah, like why um, might I give you the option to spend a thousand dollars if they're like, well, really, just please only spend three hundred. Right, right, exactly. It I, it doesn't make any sense to me. And the other important thing about that is it's an aggregate. So if you have five credit cards, um, and you know, say they're a thousand dollar limit each, um, so you have five thousand dollar total, you can spend you know thirty percent of that five thousand dollars on one credit card, and that's that's the percentage that matters. It's not per oh, credit card. Even if yeah. it's like a uh, different, like, say I have like one card that's like Capital One and one that's Discover, like, yep, they'll okay. yeah, yeah, wow, yeah. So and and that matters because you know, let's say you're making a big purchase and one of your cards gives you three percent cash back and the other one's two percent. Well, you know, you want to use the three percent. Um, so you know, it, it's a good way of you know making sure you're getting the best bang for your buck. Um, so you want to talk about how to how to start a credit. How to, yeah. how to start a credit score? Let's, All let's, right. Let's um, well, how about you? Tell us about, you know, your first credit card and when you got it. Yeah, I think my dad just got me a credit card and he's like, only use this like when I tell you to. Like literally just like never use it unless I tell you to use the credit card. And like every now and then he'd be like, all right, use the credit card to buy like this thing. And it was like 10 bucks. Um, just because like, he wanted to start building my credit card. So he got me one and like things that he would pay for, like 
maybe it's like but like I remember my freshman year trying to get a textbook with my discover card and at the time my limit was only like a few hundred dollars like it was like I think like two three hundred dollars and I tried to buy a textbook for school and I could it was like it was declined I was like oh wow and then I looked and I'm like oh my limit was only two hundred dollars and since it's been boosted yeah. to 1800 but um yeah I just like to pay for little things with my credit card um and things that like because my dad still pays the bill for my discover card so it's like things that he would pay for um otherwise I use my debit card but that's kind of how I've started to build my credit I think on discover right now I'm like a 786 so, or, so looking for that 14 points to get me to 800 um, yeah, like, no, but then on credit card I'm on the 749 um, for both of the scores that are on there nice yeah no that, I mean that's your, your dad's a smart man <laughs> yeah. clearly it, it paid off well you got a pretty good credit score to begin with um, yeah I, I think uh, my first credit card I, uh, I went to the bank and was a joint borrower with my dad when I turned 18. And that gave me, I think, $1,000 to start with um, just because he was on the hook if I defaulted. Um, so, yeah, that was my first card. And uh, I don't know. <laughs> I've liked it. Uh, it gives, gives me you know, 3% cash back or whatever. Um, so it saves you a bit of money. It's like automatic coupons, which is nice. Yeah, what do you suggest for like your first credit card? I have like the Discover student card. That's the one I most of the time use. And then I have another one, but obviously. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's a great question. You, you can do, you know, you can go kind of one of three routes. Um, one of them, first, first like credit card I did, you know, as an individual um, was Capital One. They approved me in like two minutes. Um, I took that out when I was 18. So that was my second credit card. Uh, they only gave me a $500 limit though. And yeah, that was about it. There was no, no, no special perks. Um, so the bank's going to do one of two things. They're going to either give you the credit card. Um, well, if, if they decide to give you the credit card, they're going to say one of two things. One is either, you know, it needs to be secured, meaning you have to put a deposit down for it. Um, so if your limit is 500, um, they're going to ask for a $500 deposit. And if you ever default, they're going to just take your deposit. Um, so it's, it's kind of like a prepaid card in that sense. Um, it's a little weird. Um, and then the other thing they can do is what's called a lower limit card. And it sounds like that's kind of what we both had, you know, you, you had discover and your limit was probably like two or 300 bucks. I had capital one. I only had, you know, 500 bucks and, uh, believe it or not, that doesn't get you far. <laughs> it really doesn't. Especially when um, we're trying to spend 30% of it. Right. Exactly. Yeah. So, you know, 10% of 500. Well, okay, great. <laughs> uh, my groceries just blew that out of the water. Um, and then another route you can do is, is the authorized user route. So, you know, I, I, like I said, I got, you know, three younger siblings. I added them as authorized users um, and they'll, they'll reap some benefits just from, you know, being added to, you know, my card and having that limit extended upon them. Um, some other ways you can kind of get started is uh, take out a cosign loan. So, you know, say, uh, you know, say you're going to buy a car, um, you know, you're 16, 17, 18, you know, because you've been saving your money, you've been, you know, mowing lawns and, you know, 
throwing mulch or whatever you do at 16, 17 or 18. Um, and you just, you just save your money. You want to go put a down payment for a car. You want to go buy it. Uh, you're ready for those monthly bills. Well, you can go there and you can get your dad or mom or whoever to co-sign. Um, and that'll help for the installment portion of your credit report. And that's good because it'll help you build credit. As long as you make the payments on time, you're paying full. Um, that'll be a great way to start building credit. Uh, the other important thing to realize when you're starting off is treat it like a debit card and automate your payments. You know, th there's no reason that you shouldn't, you know, have the painful option every month on the day it's due. Um, that'll, that'll help you, you know, a ton, you know, I, I, you, right when you get the credit card, you think, oh, you know, I'll never forget to pay it or, or whatever. It's always important to have that kind of safeguard that, you know, cause you will forget when you forget, um, you know, the bank automatically steps in and pays it for you. Um, from your checking, obviously, but, <laughs> um, but, you know, just in case you do forget, just make sure you have enough in your checking account that like went right. automatically. Yeah. Otherwise you get an overdraft fee. So <laughs> it could get real bad. You never know. Um, and then lastly, another thing you could do to kind of just get started and help boost it is, um, try Experian boost, um, and, and that kind of works by using your utility bills and putting them on your credit report too. So, you know, you pay after the fact, um, you know, when you use, you know, heating oil. So they're extending trust to you uh, and providing a product that you're going to pay for later. Um, so that credit that they're kind of extending to you, um, that can go, you know, on your credit report um, as long as you sign up for the program. So you know, that's a good way to, good way to help. I always saw Experian Boost was like just John Cena pushing the needle from like a 780 to like a 787. Yeah. Well, it's that too. <laughs> John Cena actually jumps in your credit report and, and, and boost. <laughs> see me. Um, all right. And then how to improve it. Um, so in improving your credit, um, like we said, spend 30% or less, ideally under 10%. If you can spend 10%, that's phenomenal. Um, but I, uh, you know, you really only have to spend under 30%. Um, stop unnecessary hard inquiries. Um, so if you shop at like Macy's or um, I, I don't know, Boscov's or I don't know, there's a bunch of weird companies that have their own credit card. Um, don't apply for them just for the discount in the store, unless you're going to use that as a card, because if, if you apply for it there and you know, you're just using that card, uh, for the discount that counts as a hard inquiry. Um, and also it's going to shorten your length of credit, credit history. Oh, wow. So, yeah. So that actually can hurt you in the long run. So like uh, especially a Macy's car, you should use that at Macy's and then other places too. Like. Well, yeah. Like if you need a credit card, there's, there's no reason you, you I, I don't know, like some credit cards are exclusive only to the store. So, you know, if you got a Macy's card, you can only use it at Macy's for their points or reward systems, or I know like Kohl's has one and stuff like that. I don't know if you can use it in other places. If you can, I would say it's probably okay to get if it's solely to that store, unless you're like an obsessive shopper at that store, it's probably not worth it. It's probably going to hurt you in the long run. Um, so, but let's, let's say you're a big hunting family and you like Cabela's and Cabela's credit card gives you 10% off on all purchases. Um, and you can only use it at Cabela's. That's probably a good idea for you guys in the long run. You'll probably use it a lot. Um, uh, it'll probably be beneficial. 
Um, but you will see that hard inquiry and you will see, you know, your average uh, length of credit history decrease. Um, so, you know, another way to, you know, help improve your score is just let the accounts age um, and age actively. If you're not going to use a card, um, the important thing to re remember is your bank might just terminate it. They might just go, okay, well, listen, you know, this is discovered. Nick, you haven't used your card in, in you know, three years, uh, we're closing it. Um, and some That's of that is just a warning. Yes. Yeah. Sometimes they will give you a warning. Um, I don't know. It depends on your company, really. Um, I would say probably most of them do, uh, but it, that's kind of the small print in your credit agreement. So it's important to you know pay attention to that. Um, so let them age, let them age actively, and then give preference to the older accounts. So if the older is, you know, say you have 10 credit cards um, and, you know, the first three you have, you got 20 years ago, you want to give preference to those because those are the lengthening your credit age. Um, so that's really important. Um so you definitely want to, you know, keep those open and active and, and vibrant and, you know, whatnot. Um, and the other thing you want to do is continue to pay in full every month. Do not miss a payment. <laughs> it won't end well. Um, all right. And then lastly, how to, how to maintain that credit score. So you got your credit score. You've improved it. You know, you followed our steps. You're good. You're golden. You're ready to, you know, you're in your golden years, right? You're just buying stuff left and right. Um, you know, next month you're looking to buy a yacht. You know, you want to maintain a good credit score so you can buy a nice, nice yacht. Um, well, you want to continue to make the payments on time. You want to automate it. It's usually the easiest way. And then be active and close the accounts. You're no longer needed. Uh, and again, giving preference to the older accounts. Um, most likely the accounts are going to close automatically. So, but, um, you know, be active with the credit that you've been extended um, and then give preference to your older accounts. Uh, and then one day you can buy that yacht. Yeah. I'm thinking about investing in a yacht tomorrow. Dude, I want a yacht. I want a sailboat, not a yacht. Maybe definitely not a yacht, but a nice sailboat. Like, no idea how to sail. Do you know how to sail? A, a buddy of mine knows how to sail. And I, you know, I've been picking up tips kind of left and right from him. Um, I probably would drown trying to do it myself, but he's definitely a, he's a cool guy. So. You eventually you just sit in the ocean not going anywhere yeah but like there's a you, you gotta you, you gotta get on a boat <laughs> you'll understand yeah. you're hoisting the mainsail and the jib and you know there's just, everything's flying all over the place it's fun and the wind picks up and it starts raining and <laughs> you just i don't know it's fun <laughs> all right let's let's hit the money minute <laughs> you go ahead <laughs> all right um just a couple cards maybe to um check out first. These are the ones I started with. Um, I found them super uh, helpful. Um, I started with Capital One. Like I said, they gave me a, a, a lower limit uh, to start with. They started me with, I think, $300 actually, and they finally upgraded me to $500. Would be. Um, but I was approved in seconds. It was awesome to start with. They're uh, you know, super interactive. You can you know, automate your payments. They're fantastic. Uh, next is Discover. The Discover student cards, a great one. Um, you know, I, I just got it a couple months ago. They gave me like 1500, I think in a limit, um, you know, those are pretty good. And then as you're kind of moving along your credit journey, you're ready to take a big step. I would definitely check out American express. Um, they gave me like a $10,000 credit limit. They were fantastic. Okay. Yeah. Um, <laughs> there's a ton of perks associated with that. 
Um, you know, there's a, you're, you can get like pre-order for like certain like tickets and events, not that that matters now in the middle of Corona, but hopefully one day it will, um, you know, you can build points for travel. Um, you get a little fancier and, 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 you know, see what things are. Other important thing to recognize is, you know, what's your cash back, what you're getting back. Um, and then lastly, treat it like a debit card, only spend what you have. Yeah. I was looking on credit karma. Cause you told me to make a credit card account. I love how they have like recommendations for like what credit cards you can apply for and like, um, like what your approval odds are for them that I found yeah. really helpful. Um, so my mo money minute has nothing to do with credit cards whatsoever. Well, I guess it can. Um, <laughs> so ye yesterday was Ash Wednesday. Um, and if you guys haven't picked this up yet, I'm, you know, a Catholic, a practicing Catholic and, um, I love the idea of Lent and setting goals um, and especially like abstaining from something. Um, I always forget the meat one. Like, like I ate sausage yesterday, um, probably because it's the only food I had. I had a giant pack of sausage, cooked it all. Um, and now it's just like been my meal. It's been, I think, 11 out of my last 15 meals, um, including oh breakfast. Um, off that track. Um, but like I, this Lent, I'm decided I'm not going to look at my phone between the hours of like 9 p.m. and 9 a.m. Um, except like wow. to maybe turn the alarm off in the morning. But um, I think like just the idea of like detaching ourselves from something that we are so attached to can um, really refocus our mind in terms of a faith perspective, like specifically like make me feel more connected to my faith but just in general like for anyone like catholic or not um like kind of like letting go of something that you feel like holds you back or that you feel super attached to or improving yourself in some way is i think a great um goal for 40 days and really open your eyes to things so maybe you want to um limit your credit spending to 10 percent for lent like i don't know exactly like you can make it whatever you want um but I definitely suggest setting a goal because it's a good way to see with clear eyes. Yeah, that's really cool. I might try that actually. Yeah. No fun. You're already, like you're, you're already one day behind. So you'll have to go one day past Easter if you set a goal. Oh. Today. All right. I guess <laughs> I'll do that. Maybe I'll just keep it. Maybe I'll like it. Yeah. I, you know what I have noticed? When you check your phone in the morning, first thing, it stresses you out. Mm -hmm. It's yeah, never I, a good thing. It's like, I always like to make whatever I do in the morning, not checking my phone first, whether it's just like punch out 20 push-ups or like read like something real quick or like even like going on my laptop as opposed to my phone. Like, at least I feel like if I'm on my laptop, I feel like I'm in a working mode, like as opposed yeah. to like phone where you're just like uh, Snapchat. Um, Very interesting. Anything else you got? That's it. That's all I got. Yeah, well, we managed to make the episode a little bit shorter today, which I think is good. <laughs> um, we also managed for you to be like heard, which is good because last week that audio was just not ideal. Um, yeah, we got new mics, so if yeah, it's a little more clear. It's because we got new cool mics. I can't wait to get my mic, but yeah, it's on its way. Don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> I'll All get right. it over. Thank you, everyone, for listening, and we will be back next week. All right. See you then.